This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a volunteer with Chapter 49, and I am also a retiree. And this is our weekly podcast, the Chapter 49 podcast, although we did not record last week or post last week. And Duncan Giles, my partner, the chapter president for Chapter 49 in these podcasts, I was a bit shocked to find out that people were going through withdrawal. They couldn't stand the fact that we didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, I attribute that all to you, Larry. That's, <laughs> that has nothing to do. I'm going to attribute that all to you. Well, that's very I, kind of you. I have many more people tell me to shut up than talk, so that's got to be it. And uh, I do want to wish you congratulations to you and your lovely bride on becoming grandparents for the first time. Yes, thank you. And that's the reason I was gone last week. We were in South Dakota visiting my daughter and son-in-law. Uh, my uh, grandson on August the 11th at 10.50 p.m. Central Time was uh, brought into the world. And uh, the sad part was for the first couple of days, we we could not see them because, again, the hospital rules, for, for good reason, are pretty strict. We could not visit uh, any of them in the hospital. Uh, but once uh, once our child, whose name is... Uh, Dakota Mitchell, and he uh, the the name Dakota is not because they live in South Dakota. They swear that's not the reason. The reason they chose the name Dakota is because it is a, a Native American term which translates to English as the word friend, and they intend for their son to be everybody's friend. So that's why they named him Dakota. They're going to call him Coda for short. Uh, and he's uh, you know of course as far as I'm concerned the most beautiful baby in the world. But uh, it's uh, being a grandparent, and maybe you'll uh, experience this someday, Duncan. Others, I'm sure, have or will. Um, it's hard to describe what it's like until it actually happens. It's kind of like being a parent for the first time, but being a grandparent is kind of extra special. So thank you for that thought. Jim Bailey gave me a nice thought a few weeks ago about impending grandparent grandparenting. But, uh, yeah, Jane and I are very excited. We'll probably go back out to South Dakota at some point here before the winter sets in. Yeah, their winters are worse than ours, believe it or not. First off, I want to say I love the name for the reason behind it. I think that's wonderful. And secondly, in the Dakotas, doesn't winter set in about every day? Well, my, my, I have to tell you, when my, when they were moving in a couple of years ago. We went out there to help them finish the job. It was April. And it was 60 degrees when we got there to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But I was, I was overhearing people at the hotel talking about just, just a few days before they had encountered a blizzard in April. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad. It could be uh, it could be quite interesting. Yeah, my wife asked, "Want to go back out in October?" I said, Ooh, "I don't know about that." You know, the weather can turn badly there pretty quickly in that time of year. But uh, it's a beautiful area. It's the plains. Uh, Sioux Falls is a really nice little town of about 180,000 population for the metro area. It's the largest city in, in North or South Dakota by far. And, and it's, it's very close to Minnesota and Iowa, uh, Sioux City, Iowa. And, of course, Minneapolis is the largest really large city. Omaha is not far away either. But anyway, we, we enjoy visiting our, our daughter and son-in-law and now having a, our, uh, our grandson, uh, Dakota, there. Thanks for the, thank you for the thought. And uh, sorry we couldn't do a podcast last week, but we were, we were busy. I think we had an excuse here. So let's get to business. <laughs> let's get to business now. And uh, we want to talk about something I have brought up a couple of times, and that's 
testing IRS employees for COVID-19. I brought this up two or three times on the podcast, and you've pretty much said, you know, the, the service just is not interested in getting into this, either by contract or doing it themselves, probably more likely uh, by contract. I understand the National Union is pushing this uh, nationally with uh, the service management at this time. Give us some background on that. Yeah, this has been something that has been very important to everyone in national uh, NTU leadership for every agency, especially IRS, and something I'm very much um, in favor of as well, and I think every chapter leader is. There needs to be some sort of testing, especially when you're talking large groups of people in call sites and especially in service centers. There has to be testing. And we've continued to push for it. IRS uh, has lately been saying that they've put their feet down and feasible or practical for us. Their main thing is, is even if somebody gets tested, it's going to be any from a week to 10 days before they get the results of that test. And then they are not going to, you know, so many happen in between then that they're saying the test is basically useless. So they're keeping with the, you know, the, there are three things they want every IRS employee to think about before they uh, go in. Are you running a temperature? Do you have a cough? And if you've been in contact with... And yeah, we're starting to break up a little bit here, Duncan. Uh, so I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> it could be in my end or yours, but... Uh, um, just wanted to kind of give you a heads up on that. So the, what I got from that is that the service is saying, well, you don't want to get into this. What I find interesting, though, is that there's no national program in the United States to get tested. You know, I live in a city where the mayor has set up a program where you can get tested once every two weeks. Now, there was a backlog in getting results like there was nationally. They're back to a three-day turnaround now. But counties sometimes do it. Some states are doing it, but it's mostly a local Decision. So, is it really is it really fair that it depends on where you live, uh, which will determine whether you are whether you even have a, a test available for free or at a reasonable price? Yeah, it, I was uh, getting my physical last Friday. Uh, that's always a fun experience for me. And you know, my doctor asked me, of course, if I had any uh, symptoms or any experience. No, have you been tested? No, and. Uh, and we talked for a couple of minutes about that difficulty in getting a test, getting the results back timely. Uh, there's just because there's no system for it, it makes it very, very difficult to stay on top of it. I had a very interesting experience. I don't get out to meetings very much. I, I do some volunteer work in the city where I live, the community where I live. Uh, but I, I kind of I cut back to almost no meetings in person. And I did go to one meeting in the last few months because it was of particular importance to me. Then I get a message a few days later that uh, someone has tested positive in the meeting. Now, we were all wearing masks, trying to distance as best we could. They said, you might you know, want to get a test. So I scheduled a test. Then the next day they say, well, we don't really think there's much danger because of all the precautions we took. We doubt that there's much chance that any COVID was uh, was transmitted to you. Then a couple of days later, I am told, well, we're not even sure that was a valid positive test. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of uncertainty around some of these instances. And I did get a test. I tested negative. So, you know, it was no problem there. 
I do find it interesting, though, Duncan, that if you work in the White House, you get at least one test a day, maybe more. If you work for a, if you're a major league baseball player or some of these other major sports uh, leagues, you get tested all the time. But yet, government employees can't seem to get a test. Yeah, it's funny how that works out that way, isn't it? Uh, but that doesn't mean we're stopping to um, that we're not going to continue to push for this because, especially as different types of tests become available, especially if they have quicker turnaround times in positives or negatives, uh, we're going to want to try and make sure that every agency avails themselves of these to make sure that when they do bring more employees back, that they are as healthy as possible and that they are working in a safe environment. Moving on to another issue, uh, the information technology of the IT people at IRS They've all, apparently, from what I'm, I'm hearing here, and you, you're very good at plugging me into all the newest information, all the business operating divisions, the BODs, if you will, have now provided lists of what is needed from information technology IT for people who need to telework. Now, that's all we know for now. What do you think that means, if anything? Uh, that means that I'm not doing enough drugs once this uh, comes to pass. Because it's going to be a mess where you've got the business operating division, the BODs, have gathered all this information from their folks, their employees that work in, in their divisions. And I'm sure none of that has gotten messed up. Nobody's gotten forgotten. They haven't screwed up and said somebody needs a uh, network printer when actually a portable printer. I'm sure there was no errors with that. And they've cross-checked that quite well. Then they're going to give it to IT, who, because of being in charge of all the equipment, their main response has usually been no. And so they've said they've found some money to get these things. So we're wondering, A, if they're going to be able to get all the equipment that the BODs request. B, if they don't, how are they going to prioritize it? And C, once the errors come up from what the BODs have uh, collected, because we know there are going to be at least a certain percentage that's going to be incorrect. Are they going to be able to go back to IT and say, hey, look, we need this additional equipment. Will IT be able to assist them or are those employees just going to be out of luck, which is not acceptable? I have a question for you, Duncan. Just give me the best answer you can. But as, just give give me and the people listening, if they don't maybe have a, a, a global, more wide picture of this, look at this locally and then nationally, if you will, for what you know. To what extent are people unable to work because they do not have the telework equipment where they could, in fact, do the work at home if they had the proper equipment? Well, when you're talking about are they able to work, um, yes, they're able to work, but it's severely handicapped. And the, the biggest thing are portable printers. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's the biggest thing from an IT perspective, uh, because if a printer breaks down or if it's simply not one available, they're having trouble getting those. And if you don't have printers, then you're going to have to come into the office to print or try and do a workaround, uh, to do it. And, it makes a tough job that, that folks have almost impossible to do without the proper equipment. And I've been told by people that I still know working for the service that getting a printer into your home is no small feat. 
yeah, that's it's not it's not easy, and it's necessary though. That's the thing. It's like, okay, we're shoving everybody to mandatory telework, which I totally agree with, and I think is the safest and best way to go. But you've got to be able to provide them the equipment they need to do their jobs to the fullest extent of their ability. And if you're not providing it, you're letting those employees down. And this is the biggest step they've taken to try and do this, trying to make sure that IT gets a list of what everybody needs, how it will end up and you know, what percentage will not be getting the proper equipment or the equipment they need is going to be interesting. Well, because IT, and I, I've heard this from uh, Jim Bailey and others, that there is some money out there for this now. Uh, IT obviously has a certain amount of money. I guess the question I would ask is, now that IT has all these lists in the business operating divisions, uh, who decides who gets equipment and who does not? Is that IT's call or is it somebody else's call in the management chain? I am very hopeful that it would be somebody at uh, the deputy commissioner level of the IRS to basically have someone on their staff or several people on their staff uh, basically making sure that everybody that needs it is getting it, it almost like a prioritized type thing. Because I don't think uh, IT shouldn't be in the position of doing that because they don't know every position and what they, exactly they need. And every bot is going to say, well, the other bot doesn't need this. We really need it. So I think you're going to have to have somebody who's involved at a very high level to be able to work this type of issue to make sure that people get the equipment they need in a priority way. So basically, uh, yeah, you, you, but, uh, let me ask the question this way. What's NTEU pushing here? What does NTEU want from this process of the BODs giving IT these lists, how would you uh, and, and the other union officials at the national level, all the way up and down the chain of NTU, how would you like this to be handled? Everybody needs the equipment they need to do their job properly. It's that simple. If somebody says, I need a portable printer or I need this piece of equipment to do my job properly, get them that, get them that uh, piece of equipment because this isn't ending anytime soon. We're not looking at, you know, next week, everybody's coming back to work. This is going to be ongoing for a while. And we want to make sure that you are able to do that work and to do it, whether it's toner, whether it's a portable printer, whether it's, you know, a laptop that needs to be repaired and fixed. They, we need to get that type of equipment. Let's move on to weather and safety leave. This has been another issue that we've talked about time and time again, just in the less than four months. So we've been doing this podcast almost every week. And uh, there's one aspect of weather and safety leave that you want people to know, particularly those who are at home still on weather and safety leave that may be listening to this podcast. Very important dates coming up in late September. Explain that. Yeah, we have... Um approximately 3,800 at the last third uh, employees still on weather and safety leave, and about 3,000 of those are in uh, W&I. Weather and safety leave, by statute, is good for six months. And apparently that six months is going to end on September the 26th. Now, what happens after that? We've asked the IRS that exact question. And right now, the IRS's response is, 
Yeah, we have no idea. I think they're waiting on guidance from OPM in fairness because uh, they realize that there's still going to be, these people are still going to be high risk. I don't believe that uh, COVID is going to be cured by the September 26th date or there's going to be a vaccine available. So what's the plan? And that's something that is being discussed as Jim Bailey talked about. We don't want our people coming back until there is a vaccine. Very interesting because, uh, yeah, this is the part that I find interesting. The statute says six months and, and that's it for weather and safety leave. Yet, as you mentioned, agencies across the board, IRS is not alone. They have these people who are high risk. They're self-certified, but let's hope that they're being honest. And, and they do meet, meet the requirements of being high risk, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But what I'm getting at here is that when, when you have a situation like this, you want to make sure you use all the tools available in the law and the regulations. Because I would think, of course, NTU is going to push this from an employee point of view. But even from the agency's point of view, do they really want high-risk people coming into an office, contracting the disease, spreading the, uh, the virus, and becoming very sick and heaven help us, we hope not, but dying as a result of coming to work? I mean, that's the reality facing IRS and other federal agencies right in front of them as as this continues on much longer than anyone ever thought. So uh, is it NTEU's position that there are tools in the law that the service could use short of any additional OPM guidance? Uh, We're trying to do everything in our power to ensure that we can lengthen this, that employees won't have to take their own leave for something that is not their fault. They didn't create, you know, nobody created COVID that works for the IRS. No wants to spread it. And the vast majority, and I talked to an awful lot of executives and the vast majority of executives and senior managers do not want exactly what you said. They don't want people coming in and a chance for them to be sick. They do not want that. There are a couple that you're sitting there going, did you ever have a heart? Because it doesn't sound like it. But those are very, very few. Um, the majority don't want that. You know, can WUSL be extended for another six months? We don't know that. And that's one of the things that we're pushing to try and get an answer for. If it can, go ahead and extend it now. And if you need to then shorten it, you know, come next spring when you know there might be a vaccine available that's uh, effective and widespread, then you can start bringing these high-risk folks back or improving their telework situation. Are there even more people that we can do things for in uh, telework situations? Well, that brings up high risk. And the definition, and we've talked about this time and time again, it seems to be a moving target. The Centers for Disease Control, they continue to update their guidelines. I think it's important to note, and I want you to expand on this, you know, I've worn a mask. I go to the grocery store. I go out, and I always wear a mask if I'm at a public place. It's uncomfortable. I mean, they're not fun, and and uh, you know, it's 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 not the best situation. Uh, and uh, I think it's important to note that just because this is uncomfortable, it might be a health issue for a very small number of people, but for most people, it's just uncomfortable. Um, and if you're not wearing a mask. 
and unable to wear a mask because of a medical excuse, even that is not a good reason. So I want you just to once again remind people, as they self-certify as high-risk, what those rules are and where they can find the details. Yeah, the details will be on the uh, cdc.gov website, the Centers for Disease Control. That's the one who's pumping out the information on this. And the reason I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about it today, I, it, it, it really is, it's interesting. When I went to, uh, again, my doctor's appointment last Friday, her office is attached to a hospital. And I came in and they had somebody there, you know, basically greeting people. And I had my mask on. Uh, had my Captain America mask on, I think. And uh, the person said, well, you need to wear a mask. And I was pointing to it, and I'm like, I've got one on, no, one of our masks. And you either need to wear this mask, and you can either put it over your mask or wear it alone. But you have to wear this certain kind of mask. Okay. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the most comfortable thing, but I wore it during the time I was there. I've seen and heard more and more people talk about the fact that, well, I'm not going to go in or I can't go in because I can't wear a mask for a long period of time because it's uncomfortable. And so therefore I don't have to because I'm high risk. That is not one of the guidelines that the CDC puts out for high risk employees. If you cannot go in with a mask, if a mask makes you uncomfortable or you've got a medical condition that says that, you know, you shouldn't have to wear a mask. And again, like you alluded to, those are very, very few because people on oxygen are wearing masks. Um, that's going to be more of a reasonable accommodation under ADA than it's going to be as a high-risk situation under the CDC guidelines for COVID-19. So I, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew the difference there Masks are not fun. Like you said, they can be uncomfortable, but that's the way it's going to be. You can't work and wear that mask that you can't sit there and say, well, I'm high risk because of the mask. That's not going to work. Okay, moving on to another subject as if we didn't have enough to worry about. Our budget for the IRS, and I think most of not all the federal government, runs out in about six weeks at the end of the fiscal year, at the end of September which coincidentally, and I don't think it's, it's, it's out of line to simply point out the fact that we'll also be in the middle of a presidential election campaign. I don't know, what are you picking up from uh, the NTEU legislative department? It's one of the best uh, in Washington, the best in the federal sector, to be sure. Are they reading any tea leaves? I would think nobody in, in Congress or the president would want a shutdown, especially in the middle of an election campaign. But you, things have happened we never expected before in the last few years. So uh, what's your best take on that? Um, well, it's tough to get through to the legislation department because mostly they're behind closed doors screaming. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those uh, unreal situations that, like you said, nobody's going to really want to shut down right before an election uh, that we're sitting here going, we've got to have money. We've got to have a budget. I would hope, because Congress is off right now, um, that they would do at least a continuing resolution um, to probably, they'll probably have to do it to January because I, I wish and I would love 
to see them agree to budgets, but I just, I, I can't see that right now. Uh, and so I think that they're going to need to do a continuing resolution so we do not have a shutdown. Yeah, I would say based on everything I'm reading and seeing and just based on experience, I've had a continuing resolution, at least of the election campaign, maybe into the next Congress. That may be the best we can hope for. Remember, a continuing resolution means you go on the previous year's budget, which is essentially a cut. So, you know, it's going to be difficult. CRs are not easy to to live with, uh, but, you know, it, it's uh, it's the fact of life and we've been dealing with them for a very, very long time, going all the way back to the years of Jimmy Carter being president. Well, the SBSE uh, division and the LBNI division are looking at just limited office visits during the last part of this fiscal year. So I'm just curious about with you on this. I'm sure there are a lot of uh, revenue agents, maybe a few other employees, uh, support employees in these, these two divisions, who wonder about uh, their uh, telework situation. You know, the contract says they're supposed to be in the office two days uh, every pay period, which is essentially two days out of a two-week period. That's been waived for a long time. I would assume that's going to continue to be waived for some time to come. Yeah, I would, right now, reading the tea leaves and just listening to um, executives talk about this, it's going to be at least through the fiscal year, probably through the calendar year, that folks are going to be in the situation they are now, working from home, not really talking to taxpayers in person, uh, going to audit sites, things of that nature. What I'm starting to hear from a minority right now of employees, but it's still out there, is that many of them are saying it's untenable for me to continue to work from home. Because of my particular situation, I need to be in the office. I need to be doing my work from there. And the vast majority of executives are saying that's not happening. We're even with social distancing, we're concerned about your health. We want to make sure that you know you're you're staying safe. So they're not they're not bending on that. See down the road, they may be doing it. Okay, again, we're cutting out just a little bit here, but I think what you're trying to say here is that. Uh, people want to come into work, uh, the top management saying, oh, no, you won't. We're not risking that. How does that get resolved? Are there people who just have to come in the office to get their work done? And may there be situations where the manager just may say, you're just not going to be able to complete that project or that audit or whatever it might be. It's varying by not just division by division, but different parts of a division uh, as to whether somebody can come in and work a whole day or just come in to do the mail. It's it's going to be very interesting, and I think this is something that we're all struggling with because we all want everybody to be safe, but we yet we have to recognize that there are going to be situations that employees have that home is just not conducive for long-term telework, and they're at the end of their rope that where they can be effective. One last subject uh, to touch on uh, before we wrap this one up. Um, the Hatch Act is something we plan after the conventions are all over on having one single podcast just about that subject. There is so much uh, to discuss there. But there's one part of the Hatch Act you'd like to remind people about, particularly those on weather and safety leave, a very important reminder. So let's let's find out. What, are, what do people on weather and safety leave need to know about the Hatch Act in this situation? Uh, weather and safety leave or teleworking, either one. 
is while you're on government time, and if you're teleworking or on weather and safety leave, you're considered to be on government time, do not post on social media about anything politically, because about candidates politically, because that could be considered a potential Hatch Act violation. So do not do that. Yeah, and I think the whole issue of social media is worth mentioning that uh, um, if you are a government employee, you, you start getting on, on social media. And when I talk about social media, that includes Facebook, it includes Twitter, it includes Instagram, and a host of others that maybe aren't used quite that much. They're out there. Uh, you, you really have to be careful. Don't go out there um, espousing or, uh, or, or ter- tearing down a candidate for office. That is not your role. You can do certain things, and we'll talk about that in a future podcast, but uh, go, don't go on social media and be doing this. I know a lot of people do. Maybe all your friends are doing it. You just don't chime in. Is that, that fair to say that? Or? Working hours, absolutely. Yeah, just, and I'm, I should qualify that. That's just during, on your own time is different, but during working hours, and that includes on weather and safety leave, it's your normal working hours. Don't do that. Is that fair to say? That is, if you're, you know, and if you're teleworking and you're doing a Skype meeting, don't be wearing any pins, shirts, hats, advocating for a candidate or denigrating a candidate, something like that. Because if somebody sees you on that, especially if it's a visual, you know, somebody sees that, they could turn you in and you nobody needs that. So just be very mindful of this during a very charged election time period to be very aware of your Hatch Act responsibilities. Yeah, coming under Hatch Act investigation, <laughs> trust me, there's nothing fun about that. So no. you, you never want to be the subject of that. Don't give anybody any reason to even start an investigation, even if you come out okay on the other end, and that's not always the case, believe me. You just have to be so the, the, just let's be careful. Let's m- remind ourselves we're government employees and we're on government time. Even if we are on weather and safety leave, we are still government employees. Must uh, Our own time is our own time. That's another matter. But uh, there are even complications there, which we'll get into at a, at a future time. Duncan, speaking of time, our time's about up. Uh, any final uh, comments? Maybe some uh, things we should look for in the next week or so, or just any other little uh, tidbits of information before we wrap this up? Uh, we will get information out. You know, on anything that we have, be on our Facebook page, we get information. We, uh, you're very good about getting it out. Uh, we don't know what's, you know, <laughs> something that may come out tomorrow that's totally unexpected. We just don't know. But we will keep on top of it and keep everybody informed. Until then, I just want to make sure everybody stays safe, stay socially distanced, wear your masks, you know, and, and, Let's let's all be good to each other. You know, there was one item I didn't even post on Facebook because I doubt that it impacts almost anybody. But the per diem rates barely changed. Of course, almost nobody's traveling, so <laughs> I didn't think that yeah. was a, a much interest. But uh, uh, yeah, the per diem rates did not change much, and that did not surprise me at all. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was surprised that they didn't uh, go a little bit lower because of the rates on a lot of hotels are a lot less now because nobody's traveling. I'm just going to say one quick thing, Duncan, before we go. Uh, when I traveled out to South Dakota, 
I drove through Iowa, a large swath of Iowa that was uh, victimized by this, what they called a derecho, this this unbelievable summer storm that had like hurricane-style winds. Driving out through Iowa just a few days after the storm, we counted 10 to 15 semi-tractor trailers with their loads that were overturned by these winds. And those are just the ones they couldn't get to right away because when we came back, they were all gone. But these winds were, and, and I've never seen wind, straight line wind, destroy crops. And lots of farmers who were looking at a bumper crop in Iowa this year had their half their crops destroyed just by this. Uh, a lot of people still have, have uh, don't have their power restored as of now. Uh, their homes are not livable at this time. So. Let's uh, keep our thoughts and prayers with people who live in that area of Iowa. That was, uh, they were all victimized. A lot of IRS, IRS employees out there as well, but there are just all kinds of people who uh, were. I, when I, I had a chance to see it up close and personal, it was much worse than I ever imagined. So let's let's keep those people in our in our minds. Absolutely, it came through Indy, but it was nothing like what it came through out there. Yeah, that they got the the, the worst of it. You know, by the time it was here, it was bad, but nothing like that. Duncan Giles, have a good week, and uh, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We will be back next week. Thank you, Larry.